0: fucked my wife. What? You fuck my wife. She's telling me. I'll make she again. Did you or did you not? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. Hey, Steve. Yeah? Ladies and gentlemen... Welcome to the late-seating main attraction. In the red corner, the challengers with 44 reviews between them. At 168 pounds, the mauler of Maryland, the crown prince of criticism, Steve the MacGyver-Shives. And at 205 pounds, the crusher of classics, the fiend from San Francisco, Jason the Old Man Hardy. And in the blue corner, the reigning world champions of the celluloid circle, at 147 pounds, the master of method acting, Robert Bobby De Niro. And at 135 pounds, the phantom of film, the sultan of celluloid, the master of movies, Martin Scorsese! We can have a good (laughs) fight.
1: No shots below the belt. Remember, Watch the f- rabbit punches.
0: We fall on the fourth. <laughs> we fall on the fourth. We just we give it up. We give him a good review no matter what happens, okay? Hey,
1: Marty, Marty, you never got me down, Marty. <laughs> you never got me down. You never got me down, Marty.
0: We're referencing a film we haven't even brought up yet. Hi, everybody. That opening bit didn't say anything about what we do, as usual. Well, on this show, Steve and I watch a classic film, and then we determine whether or not that film is indeed a classic—if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, we're going to be reviewing a movie that we shouldn't even be fucking. This shouldn't even be a goddamn question, should it, Steve?
1: <laughs> it's fairly widely acclaimed, I would say.
0: You would think so, considering it's considered one of the great, uh, the top ten of greatest movies ever made. <laughs> This time around, we show just how big and stupid our balls are by determining if Raging Bull is a classic film. Right, Steve?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we decided to, to step out on a limb for this one. Yeah. Really and, take a risk.
0: But it's also our, our entry into the, a genre that we haven't covered, which is biopic. Mm-hmm. We haven't done that yet, and so we yeah. figured we're going to do a biopic, and oh yeah, we just sat through fucking Birth of a Nation. God, we need something. Something good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let's do let's do a biopic and let's yeah. do like the only good one.
0: <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. It was there this Gandhi, everybody. Be yeah. thankful we're doing this one. <laughs> oh, so, Steve, you ready to do the who made it? Yeah. All I'm right. ready to
1: come out of the corner punching.
0: Okay, good. Um, Are you sure you just don't want to get hit until the other the opponent gets tired and then spring I, up and beat the shit out of him?
1: <laughs> exactly. I think I'm just going to let you punch me for nine and a half rounds, and Be then I'm going to knock me. you out.
0: I'm going to give you a hint. Whatever you do, don't lay against the ropes and dare the other opponent to come at you.
1: Okay. It <laughs> sounds like poor strategy. Be- because
0: they kind of turn into, like, a train tiger <laughs> that hits you over and over again with super punches that whistle through the air.
1: <laughs> good to know.
0: Okay, good. Um, Let's see. Raging Bull was directed by Martin Scorsese. Did you know that this was going to be Martin Scorsese's last film?
1: I have heard that, yeah. He was planning kind of on it being
0: his swan song. He said it out loud to everyone. This is the last film I'm going to make. Don't I don't want to make any more films. I, I, I. He, had had, uh, he had made, uh, what, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, mm-hmm. which was a departure for... Him, you know, because it had a woman lead, and um, it didn't do terribly well. Uh, New York, New York, didn't do terribly well, and so he was kind of like, I don't think, you know, people don't trust me, and also, I love cocaine.
1: (laughs) I made my money, now I'm gonna spend my money.
0: It's all going up my nose. (laughs) And then uh, Bobby De Niro showed him this thing, and uh, even uh, Scorsese readily admits uh, Robert De Niro saved his life because uh, he had uh, nearly overdosed. on cocaine, it was killing him, and then this movie came up and saved him, and thankfully saved movies forever. <laughs> <laughs> Got the 80s off to a nice good start. <laughs> yeah, well, this, okay, here's the thing, this movie came out in the same year as Heaven's Gate, dude. Ah, oh, yes, it did. It did. Uh, but, directed by Martin Scorsese. Produced by Erwin Winkler and Robert Chardoff. Screenplay supposedly by Paul Schrader and Mardick Martin. Um, a lot of what Paul Schrader wrote was thrown out, and the majority of the script was rewritten by Jay Cox, and by Martin De Niro, and Martin De Niro, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese as they went through the script and they, you know, they pieced it together. So there, were, there yeah. were a lot of writers on this one. But Jay Cox, De Niro, and Scorsese do not get credit for the screenplay. The person that wrote it and then all of his fucking ideas. Hey guys, you want to have have a great idea? Write a screenplay and then give it to people and then they throw away everything you wrote and you still get credit for writing the screenplay. Isn't that great?
1: <laughs> In the words of Homer Simpson, welcome to the humiliating world of professional writing. <laughs>
0: Based on Raging Bull, My Story by Jake LaMotta, Joseph Carter, and Peter Savage. Starring Robert De Niro as Jake LaMotta. Joe Pesci is Joey LaMotta. And did you know that Joey, uh, uh, Joe Pesci was an unknown actor at the time of this?
1: Yeah, this this made him and also pretty much determined the role he would play for he the
0: was, rest of his career. Kind of. I mean, uh, Joey's a little bit more human than some of the he's, other characters he's playing. He's,
1: yeah, he's not quite as much of a cartoon character.
0: And uh, But he was managing a restaurant at the time. And they went up to him and they say hey do you know anybody else and he went yeah Kathy Moriarty and uh, uh, I think he did he didn't recommend uh, Nicholas Colestano I think he he recommended uh, Frank Vincent who plays mm. Salvi Batts who also appears in later who also appears in later Scorsese but mm-hmm. the uh, Scorsese wanted for the most part unknown actors with the exception of De Niro and that's what got um, anyway Joe Pesci is Joey LaMotta Kathy Moriarty is Vicky LaMotta Nicholas Col and I'm gonna mess up this name Nicholas Colestano Colasanto. Colasanto. otherwise known as Coach from Chief (laughs) As Tommy Como. Teresa Saldana as Lenora Lamada, Frank Vincent as Salvi Batts. And Johnny Barnes as Sugar Ray Robinson. Cinematography by Michael Chapman. Edited by Thelma Schoonmacher. Okay, I'll do that. (laughs) Distributed. Look, she did a fucking fantastic job. She deserved the fucking Academy Award. This is maybe one of the best edited films I have ever seen. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, sorry guys. <laughs> Distributed <laughs> by United Artists and released on December nineteenth, nineteen eighty. Running time one hundred and twenty nine minutes. Budget eighteen million. Hey Steve, do you want to know how much it made? How, how much? How much it made, Jason? It was a blockbuster. Twenty three million. It barely made its money back.
1: <laughs> so that's why there was no Raging Bull two.
0: Yeah, I'm raging even ragier. <laughs> Raging Bull Two: The Floor Show.
1: You know the money was in the Raging Bull versus Rocky crossover, but they just couldn't make it happen.
0: Oh, where uh, an old fat Lamada fights fights Rocky. You know they can do that now. Lamada's still alive. (laughs) He's ninety-five fucking years old, but he's still alive. His children have died of old age before he did.
1: (laughs) I want (laughs) Boboa. I want (laughs) Boboa.
0: So anything else you would like to share about Raging Bull before we... Uh,
1: not really. I mean, it, you know, Plum? it's it's a little known fact. Almost nobody knows this, but Robert De Niro did gain some weight for this 60 part.
0: pounds. Yeah. And he did it the right way. He They closed production. After getting into the best shape of his life to play boxer, <laughs> they closed production. He went to for Paris and he ate his way from France to Italy. <laughs> yeah. And then three months later came back 60 pounds heavier. And uh, inspired a whole lot of bad actors to do the same thing Yeah. Um, with varying degrees of success. I mean, do you think that if he had trained to be a boxer for this, that uh, uh, Mickey Rourke would have ever gone all crazy off the deep end for boxing?
1: Oh yeah, no. This, I mean, th- this is definitely the performance that sort of made De Niro's reputation as like, oh no, that dude is a method actor, you know, yeah. and then and inspired a lot of other actors to follow the same and example. Like, I'm going to do it too.
0: Christian Bale got the mechanist, and he said, "I'm uh, going to beat that." Yeah, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to practically I, die for this. I'm, movie.
1: Exactly. I'm going to I'm going to lose so much weight; it's going to be hard to look. At me.
0: It's going to make everyone on in the movie scared. <laughs> if you guys don't know what we're talking about, look up any picture, type in oh. Christian Bale the mechanist into Google image. Yeah. You'll regret it, but you'll oh. see what we're talking about.
1: I mean, yeah, he lost so much weight. De Niro was probably like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs>
0: All right, let's uh, let's lace up our gloves, Steve. Let's put yeah. on our everlasting uh, boxing shorts. Let's put on our, our little boxing shoes. Let's smack our wife around and accuse her of cheating on us, and let's go into the beautiful black and white world
1: of 1980.
0: Oh, I know of of raging bull. Yeah, Steve, ding fucking ding.
1: <laughs> I, I I hear that in Apollo Creed's voice from Rocky Three. <laughs> ding ding. <laughs> Um, so, well, first we get these beautifully shot uh, opening credits.
0: Well, except for the title credit, because it's spelled with one word, and it's in red. It's the only color in the movie.
1: That's true, yeah. Everything else is, uh, well, and then there's the whole movies a little bit later. But they didn't even
0: have a spell checker. Raging Bull is one word.
1: Raging Bull. No. They accidentally accidentally put the German title. (laughs) (laughs) They just smashed the words together.
0: I've been to go see the Raging Bull.
1: Raging Bull.
0: It's about a man who gets with the punching on his device, and he's... He he's like oh no, and then he punches his his <laughs> brother, and then he punches a jail, and then he punch, uh, he he becomes a stand-up. <laughs> there I just recap the film for everybody. Bye 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 bye. <laughs> Into my German door. away. <laughs> yeah, I'll go off to
1: ruin another film for other people talking about it.
0: You know, Rose Bud is a sled, right? It's there in the very beginning. We're You're still know- in the credits.
1: <laughs> you know Bruce Willis is dead. The whole time.
0: Hans Gruber isn't actually a terrorist. He's trying to steal. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. To be anyway... <laughs>
1: So yeah, so anyway, we get the opening credits, and we get yeah. it's, it's a slow, it's a beautiful black and white slow motion shot of De Niro mm. as Jake LaMotta, sort of shadow boxing in the ring. Um, yeah, and, and then, uh, one of
0: the things you realize is Jesus Christ, people smoked a lot in the 1940s. Oh, Holy boy. shit! Because yeah. at first you're like, Am I in a dream world? Is he is is he in a ring out in the fog? Because this is beautiful cloud oh god it's such a beautiful shot yeah. and you're like what's going on out there but it's I guess it's supposed to be smoke from people yeah. smoking right either
1: that or they have boxing in the phantom zone Either that or which... the
0: camera has glaucoma <laughs> yeah.
1: Scorsese's like shit it's too late to reshoot it we're just gonna have to use it yeah exactly we'll just but make the whole movie motion. like that
0: it's set to classical music
1: yep and uh, that's our and it's this, a very poetic artful image and then after that's over we cut to that same guy
0: a by the way it was very nice of lamada to uh you know dance on the side of the stay uh, the side of the ring so there's enough room for the crowd well yeah was I mean, nice of him
1: he knows how to block a shot <laughs> <laughs> i mean not during the boxing match but
0: so what uh, do we cut to steve we
1: cut then we cut to jake lamada as uh as a much older and heavier fellow. Yeah, we uh, see a
0: sign that says, An evening with Jake LaMotta.
1: Yeah, right? and, and and he's in this nightclub dressing room, and he sort of Before going through... Where he comes through... in
0: and he accuses everyone of cheating on him, and he hits them, and <laughs> then he beats up his brother. No, that's and, later. <laughs> and, and then he complains about his food being late, and then he beats up yeah, those people as does. well. So it's basically <laughs> has... a night of verbal and physical abuse.
1: <laughs> he has this vaudeville routine of just his life, where he just smacks the audience around and shouts paranoid accusations at them. <laughs> for two hours.
0: Uh, he's like laugh laugh please Well,
1: you never heard a joke before hey hey what you can't laugh <laughs> laugh no we don't we're not there yet but he's he's in the dressing room and he's going through like this this uh soliloquy that he always delivers in his act yes. mm-hmm. and it, it refers to things from his career and he talks about you know he, he you know it's he, a he poem would, yeah it's a poem that apparently he has written and he talks about how you know uh he would rather recite Shakespeare than be a boxer and if if Lawrence Olivier had fought Sugar Ray then he would realize that the thing ain't the ring it's the
0: play and you know waiting it's... for him to rap that's what I want I want Jake yeah. LaMotta rap yeah break it down <laughs> my name's Jake LaMotta and I'm here to say I'm Reggie Bowler in a major way break it break break it slap your hoe and break it I slapped hoes and bitches in 1945 that's right motherfucker I'm still alive Jake LaMotta
1: <laughs> there are people in the audience going you know it's actually better than I thought it would be. I, I thought it would be way worse, to be honest, when I saw the sign. Um, so, yeah, so and then we get a, a title, a, a lower third on the screen that informs us that this is Jake LaMotta You know would have been a great
0: tour? Jake LaMotta and William S. Burroughs speaking tour. <laughs> I was having sex with a biracial prostitute named Tito. Holy fuck, really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, get a load of this guy. What's, he, what's this guy talking about?
0: When I spiked the vein with some... <laughs> hey,
1: come on. Get out of
0: here. <laughs> hey. William S. Bros and Jake Klamadas Waiting for Godot.
1: <laughs> you believe this guy over here?
0: How long are we going to fucking wait? Hey, Like, I'm not... You should be treating us with a little bit more respect. <laughs> that, that, that's brilliant. Hey, how long are we going to fucking wait for this guy? Where's he well, at? Where? Your anger reminds me... <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that for very long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you now you really do sound like William Burroughs. The William, if, William S Burroughs
0: coughs at you for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where were we? Alright. Yeah, okay. So okay,
1: so Jake Lamont in nineteen sixty four. We get a shot of him in the dressing room. We get the title that mm-hmm. tells us that's who it is, that's when it is, and then we cut straight from that to Jake Lamont in nineteen forty one. He's like a completely different person. Yeah. He's he's younger, he's thinner, he's in tremendous shape, he's in the boxing yeah. ring, yeah. moving ri re- get ready, and then he takes a whole bunch of punches to the face because that's pretty much what he does.
0: Yeah, and he punches another guy and the guy actually goes down a little bit. Yeah, um, but he still loses the the the, the f- match. Yeah. They declare the other guy the winner. And then um, I guess everyone was dissatisfied with that because then everyone in the crowd starts fighting each other. Yeah. The crowd literally goes wild by starting to kill one another. Yep.
1: And well, this, and they, this, it's in this very first scene that we introduce uh, in a very sort of subtle way without making too much of a point of it that that is, that is sort of Lamada's boxing style is that he takes a beating for most of the match and then he makes a comeback very late and just knocks the guy out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this time, he just he didn't quite make the comeback fast enough, and the, right. the, the the fight ended before the referee could count the other guy out, and the other guy was ahead on points and won the match.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, then we cut to the Bronx. Yep, because we get this uh, clippy little documentary style. The Bronx gives us the year, and we cut down to the street where we're seeing like Goodfellas all over again. Yeah, and, like, pretty really much. early.
1: Yeah, <laughs> pre Goodfellas, proto Goodfellas.
0: <laughs> no, we. That's where we meet Joey LaMotta, who is his man, is uh, Jake's manager and his little brother. Yeah, and we meet. Uh, I can't remember the character's name. Salvi Salvi Bats Salvi Bats, who's a mob guy.
1: Yeah, yeah boxing
0: I- promoter dude.
1: He's someone who apparently has like mob connections, and he's someone who Jake doesn't really want anything to do with. Yeah, and that's all. That's like the problem because right. he's t- he's he's trying to tell Joey like Hey, talk to your brother. You know, like I can right. help him out.
0: He needs to play ball. Yeah, or he'll never get a shot at the at the belt. The yeah, middle, he'll never be middleweight champion. I'm gonna go do the thing at the places and the things. All right, bye. A lot of it is a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, he's got rocks in his head. Yeah, I know. But what do you have to do? And then mumble mumble. And exactly. He mouths yes. something to him as he's entering a big tenement building. I don't know what he mouths. Do you know I can't, what he mouths? I, I,
1: didn't catch it what, I didn't catch what it was either.
0: I think it was something like is this the right building or something like that. I don't
1: know. <laughs> he's probably talking to Scorsese.
0: <laughs> Am I going but, in the right place? Yeah, but then we cut to the inside of Jake's apartment. Yep. We meet Jake who is also called Jack in the film yeah. by his brother mostly and uh, his wife.
1: Yep, and it's a beautiful marriage.
0: Yeah, boy, isn't it?
1: It's a beautiful marriage. They yeah, start
0: J- a screaming match over overcooked steak that descends into overcooked carrots.
1: (laughs) I got no choice! (laughs) I got
0: no choice! Don't you understand? I'm a man in 1945. I don't know how to cook for myself. If you stop cooking for me, I die!
1: Yeah, and then and so then, and then we, we're we introduced to sort of the, the, the dynamic between Jake and Joey, where Joey is sort of the voice of reason. Like, yeah. Joey has his own... But not
0: before their fight starts the entire building fighting. He's then sticking yeah. his head out the window, telling yeah. the guy he's going to kill his fucking dog <laughs> and fuck your mother.
1: He's threatening the dog, yeah. it's Yeah, and then
0: another man upstairs going, Why can't you always be quiet? Shut up, old man, I'll come up there and kill you too. <laughs> At least my steak isn't overcooked. <laughs> Shut up, I'll kill you! <laughs> <laughs> fuck you! It's just a big fuck you building where everyone's saying fuck you and I'll fuck your mother to each other.
1: It's like how people who've never been to New York imagine all of New York is exactly just people exactly. people in tenements screaming at each other. <laughs>
0: So Joey comes in after his. He flips the table with the food on it. Yeah. The wife goes into another room. Then him and Joey sit down, and Joey's like, "You gotta listen to Salvi and all this other stuff." And I'm looking out for you. Oh, you know, I'm I'm a good guy, and you should listen. To me. And 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 Jake's like, "Punch me in the face." <laughs> I'm not gonna punch you in. Here, let's let's recreate a lot of the dialogue in the film. Are you ready? Yeah, it'll be fun. Okay, you you be De Niro. Okay. And and, and I'll be Joe Pesci.
1: Okay. Hey Joey, hit Why? hit hit me in the face. No,
0: I'm not gonna hit you. No, come on. I'm not gonna hit you. Stupid. No, come on, hit me in the face. I'm not gonna hit you. In the no, face.
1: No, come on, just hit me in the face. Just,
0: yeah, just stop talking crazy. I'm not gonna hit you in the face. No, look, look, I, look. I'm asking you to do it. Well, I know you asking I just, me to do it, I, but I, I'm I, not gonna do just it. Just hit me in the face. I'm not gonna hit you in the face. I told you to hit me in the face. Look, just. And go I ahead. told you're not, you you're that I'm hurt not hurt me. going to. No, you're my brother. Why would I want to hit you in the face? Joey, hit me! In, hit me! No! Hit me! Okay, take that. <laughs> Extend it about 25 minutes, and you have a lot of the dialogue in this one. And, <laughs>
1: and scene. I mean, yeah. Eventually, like he Joey agrees to do it, and he wraps his fist in like a napkin. Yeah. He hits him like 20 times. In the face.
0: Yeah, 20 times in the face.
1: And then he's like, take that off. So then he th- hits him with his bare hand and th- like 20 more times.
0: And his stitches are starting to come open. And at the end of the capper of that scene is the wife in the other room slowly closing the door going, Holy fucking shit. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> <sighs> so it turns out Jake don't really like agents all that much. No, He doesn't want one. Nope, he doesn't like want people taking his money. Yeah, so they go and hang out down by the pool, and uh, he sees a girl there, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, and it's a girl that uh, Joey apparently knows and has he went taken out with a, a few couple times. of times. Yeah, yeah. He's and like, hey, who's Jake that girl? wants
0: to make sure that he didn't make it with her.
1: Yeah, that's right, because he doesn't. Wa- he doesn't want to, you know, eat where his brothers already eaten You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Exactly. He's and like, who is that?
0: Who is that person?
1: Uh that is Vicky.
0: Oh, great. How old is Vicky?
1: Oh, I. think Think she's fifteen?
0: Oh, and how old is Jake Lamada in this scene?
1: Um, old,
0: like twenty-five,
1: something like yeah, at <laughs> least yeah. What I love about this scene is that it it at the very beginning of Jake showing some interest in Vicky, Joey is sort of like nah, come on, she's fifteen, and that That's lasts not the a, kind of girl, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that lasts about ten seconds, and then he's uh-huh. like, he's like, okay. I mean, yeah,
0: sure, I went out with her when she was fourteen a couple of times, but you know, we're both men in our twenties, and I guess no one cares.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's just gonna be a really weird uh, story to tell the grandkids someday. Uh-huh. Grandma was he's how really, when he he's, met
0: re- he's really interested in her. Like, a he, lot interested. Like,
1: super-duper interested, yeah. yeah. Like, so who does she go with? Who are those guys? What is she talking to them for? Mm-hmm.
0: So then, he, they're gonna go to, uh, I guess, the St. Clair Summer Dance, because they make sure to show the sign twice. But not before he gets into another fight with his wife as he's leaving that uh, goes all the way out onto the street where they're screaming at each other in the street. <laughs> yep. Where she's saying, you suck off your brother, you both love it, you suck each other. <laughs> This cocks,
1: don't you? Finally, a character to root for.
0: He yells at the guy's dog the guy who has a dog again. I'm gonna <laughs> fucking kill their dog. I'm gonna fucking cook him and eat him. <laughs> and he goes to the summer dance. He's, she, he sees Vicky hanging around doing stuff, right? Yeah, does is isn't
1: she she she's uh, hanging around with
0: Salvi? Yeah, she's hanging around with Salvi a lot. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, did, did Salvi fuck her? And he's like, I don't know. I don't I don't know. Yes? I don't know. Why are you <laughs> let, asking me? Let me check my notebook where
1: I write down who everybody <laughs> fucks and our neighborhood let me see no i don't i don't see it here
0: but he watches her he watches her leave with salvi they get into a car and they drive off right the next day they drive up in a car now did he buy a car just to impress her is that the impression i'm getting
1: i'm not sure i don't know if he if it's a new car or if that's just his car because i mean it, it seems like he does pretty well like his you know his apartment is a nice apartment he's got lots of room he's not like he's a successful boxer yeah so i mean he could have just had that car already you know what i mean yeah but I, I mean.
0: He's not uber successful. He's still living in a tenement house in yeah, in fucking Bronx.
1: He's not rich, but he's you know he's he's paying the bills.
0: But he was happy, <laughs> kind of. But they were happy. <laughs> So he goes up to the pool, she comes up, he's like Hey, how you doing? She's like, hey and like, Hey, you wanna go out and override? a ride? She's like, sure And then they go out, and they, they play miniature golf And then we have the brief mystery of where the Golf ball go in the church? They put it Into the little miniature golf church, and it disappears And they're like, oh, uh, the ball's gone I guess uh, that means the game is over, right? That, <laughs> that That's life, you know? And he's like, hey, I wanna take you On a tour of my house <laughs> And then he takes him on a tour of the house Because Jake's got super smooth moves
1: <laughs> The old, let me show you my house routine.
0: Yeah, let me make you sit on my lap. See, that's better sitting on my lap. That's not uncomfortable, right, Vicky? And then, uh, that's over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now let me mash on you. <laughs>
0: And then uh, Jake fights Sugar Ray.
1: Yeah, for the first of, like, what, 25 times?
0: Mm, six. <laughs> he, they they
1: fight six times. He fights Sugar Ray a lot.
0: And he defeats him this time. Yes. Yeah. Um. And then uh, we have a scene in which Jake is maybe gonna about to get a blowjob with Vicky. hmm She's, like, called little bit stuff. And then this is where we learn how important boxing is to Jake, because he's like, no, you gotta stop. I can't do this before a fight. And he walks into the bathroom and pours a pitcher of... Uh, ice cold <laughs> ice water onto his dick his
1: his pre-prepared anti blowjob yeah. job ice water
0: because this guy is so smart he thinks so far ahead that he's like Mickey's coming over and in case anything happens I better have my pitcher full of ice water in the bathroom <laughs> see he's you know he's no dummy he's smart <laughs> yeah so he stops that there so we, we pretty much figure out yeah boxing is more important to him than, yeah. than, than then, <laughs>
1: then pretty much and anything and he really
0: wants some so then he fights Sugar Ray again
1: and loses
0: and loses yep they give him. They, they, what they say is that they gave Sugar Ray the fight because he's going off to war.
1: Right. War. Yeah. Because it's it's a judge's decision. He's, Jake's
0: joining. He's joining the army, and it's the judge's decision they gave it to. him. And uh, well, yeah, we'll never see Sugar Ray again. It's not like of he's going to come back as as a spirit of vengeance. No, and he's destroy it. But yeah, he's gone. <laughs> so now we get this little clever little uh, sequence, uh, which is uh, made up of boxing sequences and home movies, mm-hmm. in which in uh, we see Jake fight uh, boxers uh, Zivic and Basora, and then he gets married, and then he fights kitchen edgar and then joey gets married and then he fights satterfield and then he buys a house and then he has a kid and then he fights the kid and (laughs) and then he marries a house and then and then he fights a church pretty sure yeah godzilla's in there somewhere there's a lot of stuff covered in a very short period of time guys i might be confused then he fights uh he fights bell then then he fights his wife (laughs) a lot of stuff happens
1: there's a predator in there i think
0: (laughs) there's a So now we cut, and he's complaining because he's got to do what, Steve?
1: He's got to drop some weight.
0: Yeah, he's got to get down to 155 pounds, and yeah. he says he can't do it. And everyone's like, "Stop fucking eating, goddamn <laughs> pig! Stop f- fucking, stop eating!" And he's like, "You don't know what you're talking about." And then, and then uh, Joey basically shows him how he is smarter than Jake is because he's like, "Look, you fought everybody. There's no one left to fight. Everyone's right So if you get down to 155 pounds, you can fight this new guy. And whether you win or lose, that means you're going to get a shot at the title. Right? That's yeah, his reasoning
1: because there's nobody else.
0: Right? But there's something else that happens in this scene while they're sitting around the kitchen table that uh, is going to come up over and over and over again. We caught a little hint of it before they were even dating. Do you know what that is? <laughs>
1: um. Yeah. Uh, Mister Mister Lamada is a little bit, just a little bit of uh, a in, pig. He, a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he's a huge pig. He's a little bit insecure. So about, is his brother. Yeah. I mean. He he's a little insecure about his his wife. Mm-hmm. Just a, just a tad because Jake is,
0: uh, is he's he's afraid his wife is cheating on him, and he's suspicious of everybody
1: <laughs> the entire world but yeah because they're talking about the the guy that he's that he's trying to drop weight to fight uh yeah. and vicky just mentions in passing just while while echoing what joey is saying you know she's like yeah. look you fight him he's a young kid he's a good looking kid you beat him you're gonna get a title shot and guess which words from that statement <laughs> that jake zeros in on and obsesses over for I like the rest said of his life
0: like, like, what do you mean he's a kid he's like a toddler he's like 10 years old yeah. no it's just an expression he was he's like a four-year-old you want me to fight a four-year-old how monster oh, you think i am I'm no jake a four-year-old jake, there's a lot no. of things in this movie that could have been prevented had someone just sat down with him and explained to him what a metaphor was because he don't get them he doesn't understand terms of phrase or metaphors at all
1: he gets uh he gets super hung up on her saying that he's, he's good-looking a, a good looking kid and what, yeah. what, what do you mean by that why would you say that why would why would mm. you say that
0: He's like he's a good looking guy. Well, you want to fuck him now? Is that what it is? No, I'm just saying he's a good looking guy. Get the fuck out of here. Yes, James I want to fuck fuck him. (laughs) Don't ever say that to him. (laughs) That's what I I, that's the other thing he doesn't understand is sarcasm. Yeah. Oh, so you literally want
1: to have sex with him right now. That's what you're saying. That's what you just told me.
0: Let's let me let me try that out. If I say you have the luck of a leprechaun, what do you think? You're saying I'm a fucking leprechaun. What am I, no, what I'm, I'm saying you have like when someone has like in there, it, it, it's a metaphor. Jake. Are you saying no, I'm. You short? just fucking said I'm a leprechaun. I got a little red. I have red hair, a little green hat that I dance around. People try to steal my gold. Is that what you are fucking saying so, to me? So, so I'm you're like a leprechaun. Punch you right that in the way. face.
1: So you're saying I'm just like a leprechaun?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Jake. See, I knew it. No, okay. Here's the other thing you don't understand, Jake. Sarcasm. When when someone says something like that, they're being sarcastic. Like what? Okay, well, here. Let me put it this way. When I said, "Yeah, that's what I mean," you can hear that tone. I don't hear a tone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear tones. What's tones? Why can't you just Why can't you just talk to me like a person? She's. A, you get a, get a load of this over here. She's talking about tones, like a... so.
0: <laughs> But Joey says, "Hey, you got to make it up to your wife, and uh, why don't we all go out?" And he's like, "But don't tell my wife because I'm going out on a date because I'm cheating on her. <laughs>
1: Apparently, because I'm a scumbag too."
0: <laughs> and um while they're out he sees Who, Steve when they're out of the club.
1: Uh he sees uh Tommy, the big uh, mafia guy and also yeah. uh, Salvi Bats.
0: Yeah, and Tommy invites him over, you know, busts his balls a little bit. Yeah. He asks him who's going to win the fight with a uh, With what's his name? Genero. Gennaro. And, uh yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Um he wants basically Gennaro wants betting tips, I think.
1: Yeah, well he says so who and and, and Lamada says bet everything you have on me because I'm going to kill him. And like, by the I'm way,
0: out. I'm going to mess up his pretty face.
1: I'm going to mess up up his pretty face.
0: Which is what he does! <laughs> yeah. To the, to the point in which Tommy goes, well, he ain't pretty no more. <laughs> yeah. Now we cut to a scene in which we see uh, Salvi, right? At a at a club? Yeah. And a couple other guys that we keep seeing all over the place. And, uh-oh, it's Vicky.
1: Vicky's with Salvi.
0: Vicky and Salvi are out on the town, and Joey's like, what the hell?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is not good.
0: She's like, he's never home. I want to go out. I just want to have fun. Leave me alone. She sits back down, and he goes in, and he picks her up, and he says, no, you're leaving. And then Salvi's like, nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. And then uh, in true Joe Pesci... <laughs> (laughs) goes to Joe Pesci 9000 and he smashes he takes on a guy who's twice as big as him And smashes a glass in his face, and eventually the fight goes all the way outside, in which he is literally smashing a car door on him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just think Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. Yeah, exactly. He goes, yeah, he goes Carl This whole fight,
0: yeah. This whole fight escalates. He never tells Jake about it, because he knows what would happen if he told Jake about it. Yeah. And then uh, Coach, (laughs) I mean, Tommy, calls him in, and he says, you guys apologize, it'll all be done. And they apologize, and that's it. That's the whole scene. That's the lengths to which Joey will go to protect his brother, Yep. Yep. And to kind of protect Vicky, if you think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh-oh, Tommy wants to talk to, to Joey, and he's like, listen, we'll give him a shot at the title, right? But he's got to throw a fight. If he throws a fight, we'll give him a shot at the title, and then he can, he'll be, you know, he'll be able to become middleweight champion. And De Niro doesn't really want to do it, right?
1: Right, but it's like he doesn't really have a choice. Yeah, he because... doesn't really have
0: a choice. This is his shot. This yeah. is his shot. To...
1: Well, and, and plus, like, these are, I mean, it's the mob. Do you really want to tell mm-hmm. the mob you're not going to throw a fight for him? <laughs> You know? Exactly.
0: So he goes in there. They put him up with some chump who could get knocked over if you'd stared at him too hard. Jake's trying desperately to get him back up on his feet, so he doesn't look like he's d- intentionally. Th- how do you? How do you? How do you throw a fight with someone who's getting knocked over because the wind blew too hard in one direction, and he's like falling down on the ropes? Yeah. But he takes the fall, and then he goes back into the back room, and he cries like a little baby. And he gets so upset that even Mario, his hardened, chiseled, you know, uh, fight doctor, starts to cry as well. Yeah, <laughs> and then he gets suspended. Yeah, because they figure, yeah, he fucking threw that fight.
1: Yeah, he just stood there and let the other guy hit him. <laughs>
0: Yeah. but because he did all that he gets his his title shot with Sir Dan, yeah right? but not before he smacks Vicky around because of course that's what you do you get in a fight with your wife right before the fight and you smack her in the face and then you threaten your brother you know like when your brother tries to step in and say knock it off you, yeah. you say you will fuck kill you too because well, that's what you do he,
1: he, the fight started for a very good reason I mean Joey was completely out of line by asking Vicky if she was hungry and wanted some food
0: oh that's right
1: <laughs> remember he was like hey you want a cheeseburger and, and, <laughs> and Jake's like what are you, ta- what are you asking what she wants.
0: <laughs> well, remember, it was a steak, right? She says, Yeah, I'll have one of them. And he's like, Don't let him tell you what to have. Yeah, you don't eat Order that. Order a cheeseburger.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't eat that. Says, When do you eat that? <laughs>
0: Which then, of course, the, the, you know, starts a fight with degenerates down to him smacking across the face. Yep. Okay. Well, then he has his fight, and does he win?
1: He does. Yay. He win- he, he, he's the middleweight champion of the world.
0: Hooray for him. So now we cut to 1950. Hey, Steve, guess what? What? Jake still suspects Vicky of cheating <laughs> on him.
1: Oh, Jake. Oh, Jake. <laughs>
0: And while he's trying to get a TV to work, he literally just comes out and asks Joey, right? Yeah, pretty... well. He, because he, he'd heard something about what happened at the Copacabana right. with Vicky, and he's like, do you, do you fuck my wife? And, you know, Joey's like, I can't even believe you're asking me that question, right? We have another yeah. one of those scenes.
1: Yeah, where Joey basically... Yeah, exactly. He doesn't come... He doesn't
0: say... First, we have the, I heard a thing, which goes <laughs> on forever. I heard a thing. What thing? You know, a thing. I heard a thing. A I thing? just heard some yeah. things. <laughs> And then it goes to you, I, did you fuck my wife? And he asks him that like 900 times. And he says, no, I'm fucking leaving. Eventually, he says, no, I'm fucking leaving. I can't believe you asked him to leave. So he leaves. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that was over. Yeah, Jake gets over it, right? Uh, he,
1: yeah, he just he gets all in his life. He forgets all about it. No, of course not. No,
0: because we got to get to the scene where Jake beats up everybody. Yeah. He, where he accuses everyone. He, of-
1: uh, after Joey leaves, he goes upstairs and, and asks Vicky about it and starts bullying her about it. And eventually, again, we, we mentioned his, in a, his trouble with sarcasm.
0: Vicky, His inability to pick up on sarcasm yeah. or metaphor. V-
1: Vicky, Vicky gets fed up with him for, you know basically insulting her and calling her yeah. you know a slut and saying so she says yeah you want to know fine I fucked everybody I fucked your brother I fucked Salvi. I fucked Tommy I, I fucked every, everybody I
0: sucked every dick on the block I yeah. did everything and so now we got to Jake beats up everybody everywhere
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he goes to his brother's house when they're having dinner drags him away from the table beats the shit out of him in front of his kids
0: smashes his, his head through a, a window yeah yeah. punches his wife Not yeah. he's been slapping her a lot but this time he punches he her he punches her out yeah he picks up his nephew Nephew says, "You fuck my wife." (laughs) Nephew goes, "I'm four years old. You fuck my wife? You think that's an excuse? Did you fuck my wife?"
1: Shakes the aquarium, demands to know what the fish have been doing. (laughs) Which one of you, fish? Fuck my wife. (laughs) You, you, the goldfish. Who who are you looking at? Were you looking
0: at me? You're talking to your uh, reflection of yourself in the mirror. Oh well, yeah, I did fuck my wife. Fuck my wife. (laughs) Did you? You did. (laughs) (laughs) You fucked my wife. So um but then uh, he's home and Vicky comes in and she forgives him. Oh uh, yeah. Does Joey? Nope.
1: <laughs> no, Joey is gone. <laughs> Joey's done. Joey's like, "Nope, I'm out."
0: Uh-huh. Then uh we see Jake beat up a Frenchman. <laughs> and then Sugar Ray comes back. What? With a fucking vengeance.
1: Oh boy, now, he does. He uh, he 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 was waiting out that that uh, server's in the army. Yeah,
0: guys, I'm going to share this right now. I'm not going to wait for the review. This sequence, this fight sequence, even though it's not terribly realistic in any way, sure. yeah. it's very artistic, is probably one one of a handful of some of the most perfect segments of film ever made because it is a combination of this character who you have kind of been waiting to see get the shit beat out of him. <laughs> and also a culmination of the part of the character's story arc all the way up to this point. And Sugar Ray comes back, and they're fighting, and they're fighting. And then he finally, he's up against the ropes. And what does he say to Sugar Ray? He said, take your best shot, or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah,
1: he's egging him on. Yeah, Come, on saying, Come on, Ray. Come on, Ray.
0: Come on, Ray. And you see Ray, Ray stop for a minute, right? And then everything goes dark. And you can kind of see in Jake's face the sudden realization of what he just told Ray to do to him. <laughs> And then the ghosts of every boxer that has ever lived streams <laughs> into Ray's body. <laughs> And he is beaten savagely, and even in oh, black yeah. and white, it hurts bad to watch him get this, to get oh the God. beating he's, that he gets.
1: He's spraying blood.
0: He's spraying blood. Blood's all over his legs and on the canvas and everything else. Um, rays, rays making sounds like a monster swallowed a train. <laughs> He'd, literally, you can hear the sound of his arms swinging through the through the air as they make landing b- blows. I'm gonna put this out there right now. When they were editing this scene together, they referenced. Psycho, and you can see it. Yeah. They referenced the shower scene because he wasn't sure how he was going to edit it. So they referenced Psycho. They took a look at it and they went, "Okay, this is how they did that scene. Let's do that with this scene as well." And he took it yeah. and he made it his own. Art is not made in a vacuum. People, <laughs> <laughs> you can you can lift, you can lift from other movies, but it takes a really really talented artist to lift from another movie and make it their own fucking shot.
1: Yeah, well, that's the key. That's the key to it. You make it your own. You don't just copy. Mm-hmm. You, you you lift and you adapt and yeah. you make it work for your thing. Yeah. So uh, he loses. He's not the champion anymore. No, nope, but he goes up to Ray and he says what? Hey, you, Ray, Ray, you didn't you, you didn't get me down, Ray.
0: I can't see right now, Ray, but you didn't knock me down. You didn't get me down, Ray. Every bone in my face is broken, Ray, but at least you didn't <laughs> knock me down.
1: <laughs> so technically, if you think about it, I won.
0: Ray, my, my marriage is in shambles, Ray. <laughs> I just shit my pants, Ray. <laughs> my brother doesn't talk to me. My kids are afraid of me, Ray. But you didn't knock me down, Ray. <laughs> Everything's great. Everything's fine. Cut to Miami. Uh, this
1: is where we cut to him at the pool, right?
0: Miami. And all of a sudden we see him, and we see him. He's heavy. He's
1: gained the weight. He's
0: gained a lot of weight. And, yep. and uh, he's,
1: he's, retired. he's
0: retired. He's retired. He's going to be a nightclub owner. Yep. And he's making the photographers take pictures of his wife and kids. And what he doesn't know is that she's been planning on leaving him since he retired. <laughs> she's been uh, working with the lawyer to make sure that when she leaves, she gets custody of the kids and everything else. And uh, he opens a nightclub. What's the name of the nightclub there, Steve Areno? Steve <laughs>
1: You'll never guess what he calls it, yeah, Jake Lamadas. Wow,
0: what a surprise! Yeah,
1: he worked on that name for weeks.
0: Yeah. So uh, he's kind of a nightclub owner and a comedian now. Yeah,
1: sort of. Yeah, <laughs> someone who doesn't that,
0: understand sarcasm and me- and metaphor is now a comedian.
1: I know he, he's he's someone who doesn't understand the basics of how humor works. Mm-hmm. So he decided to. be I mean, since it was before YouTube, he decided to open a nightclub.
0: So we see him schmoozing the, the clou- crowd. I didn't laugh at that. I'm not gonna. I, <laughs> I'm gonna laugh at YouTube jokes. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> Uh, He works the crowd. He meets a couple of senators and a district attorney or something A district attorney, yeah. Spills a drink on his wife. And then we see Makes a
1: joke about shakedown payments. Yeah, makes a
0: joke about shakedown payments. (laughs) Then he meets a bunch of girls who all are saying they're 21 years old, right?
1: Yeah, and he gives them the... He, he gives him the patented kiss test yeah, which kiss it turns test. out is not that reliable yeah,
0: yeah and uh yeah it turns out yeah it's not good at all really but uh hey Vicky's out yeah she she's meets gone. him in
1: the parking lot and she's like I'm leaving bye and he's
0: like no baby and she's like why so you can get your mitts on me bye
1: <laughs> bye forever yeah.
0: and you're like oh well he can't get much lower down than that oh guess what <laughs>
1: Here come the cops.
0: And the cops are like, you recognize this girl? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, she's 14 years old. It's, she says that you were introducing her to men at your club. You know what that is? Bad. That's what that is, Jake.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: So Jake shows up at Vicky's apartment, and what is what does he want? He uh,
1: he wants his title belt.
0: Yeah. Why does he and want his title belt?
1: He <laughs> he wants to take the jewels out of it so he can pawn them, so he can get money to, to bribe the DA so that they'll <laughs> drop his case. It doesn't work.
0: No, it doesn't because the guy's like I thought you were going to bring me the belt. That's rare. This is just kind of chipped jewelry that chipped jewels that you want me to sell cuz he wants the money to bribe people.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. It
0: doesn't work out. And then they send him to jail and then he and beats he is up the not jail. not a prisoner. <laughs> yeah. He is not a model prisoner. <laughs> but don't worry. I'm, I'm sure everything works out with Jake, right? He bounces <laughs> yeah, I, right back. Yeah. Where does he bounce back to after jail?
1: Um, A really super depressing nightclub in New York City.
0: Oh, he's not Where like... Where
1: nobody he, likes him. He's
0: not like the opening act for a stripper, is he?
1: He kind of is, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. And nobody likes him. Nobody laughs at People his non-jokes. People tell him non- to shut jokes. the
0: fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> And leaving, he's leaving the club. He's leaving the club with the stripper, who I guess he's dating at this point. Yeah. And who does he see across the street?
1: He sees Joey.
0: Oh, does Joey His long-lost brother,
1: Joey. No.
0: Do they make up?
1: No, they don't. <laughs> he kind of he kind of corners Joey against his car and sort of forces some hugs and other kisses thing. on him.
0: Here's the other thing we need to teach Jack about body language because he doesn't yeah. understand that either.
1: <laughs> when someone sees you and walks straight away, not acknowledging mm. you at all. When
0: you grab him in a bear hug. And they tense up and don't hug back.
1: And they they strain and pull away from you. Yeah.
0: And by the way, when they say "Yeah, we'll, we'll talk," they don't mean that you're never talking to him ever again.
1: Yeah. Don't don't wait by the phone.
0: That time you beat him up in front of in front of his kids, saying you fuck my wife. That, that's not the kind of stuff that you get to take back, Jake. I don't know yeah. if you understand well,
1: that. And that the one of the only things that Joey says to him during the scene is a reference to that when mm. he's like, "What? Well, do you, you don't don't you want to call my wife and kids so they can see us make up?"
0: Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Jake. Yeah. yeah, I know you're too dumb to realize it, but
1: uh... that was more. That was some more sarcasm, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't understand. What? So the... uh, he's going
1: to call me. That's what I took away from that. He's going to call me.
0: So now we cut back to the uh, the the other bookend because we bookended this bitch yeah. with the opening <laughs> thing of uh, an evening with Jake LaMotta at the beginning, and now we have him in his dressing room again at the end. Yeah. What's he doing?
1: He is quoting a very appropriate scene <laughs> from On the Waterfront, although it on doesn't
0: the nose scene from On the Waterfront. <laughs> yeah.
1: Although it, he doesn't seem to get how on the nose it is. Uh, yeah, but he's, he's quoting the, the, you know, the, probably the most famous scene from On the Waterfront when they're in the somebody.
0: back. I could have been a contender instead of a bum, yeah. which is what I am. Let's face it, child. Yeah,
1: where he sort of blames his brother for all of his problems. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Completely clueless as to how that relates to his own life. He's just kind of, he's saying it with, he's saying it as someone who has memorized it and he wants to make sure that he, he can say it again when he's in front of an audience. You know? Right. Now, here's what's not covered in the movie. This led to him having an acting he, he, yeah, really. He he did a lot of TV and stuff. He did a lot of television. He's in The Hustler, for fuck's sake.
1: Oh, that's right, he is. I didn't. I completely forgot about
0: that. Yeah, this led to him yeah. having an acting career. And then he wrote a book. You know, his life story in the nineteen seventies. Yeah. I mean, he never became a boxer again. His life wasn't great. He got married like nine hundred more times after this. <laughs> and yeah, he's still alive at ninety five. So he's still he's still around. He consulted on this movie. Why didn't they yeah. keep going and have the show at him consulting them on the movie? That would have been a weird way to end the movie, where he's like. <laughs> He's the boxing consultant to Robert De Niro on the on the Raging Bowl. That would be meta. They said they followed him all the way to nineteen seventy nine. That's a way to end the movie instead of some stupid fucking biblical quote. <laughs> What is the biblical quote anyway?
1: Uh I can't remember the whole thing, but it's it's the, the quote that ends with uh once I was blind and now I see. Do you think that's true? For Jake? Yeah. No.
0: Do you think that this person is capable of that kind of introspection?
1: He, not from what we've seen.
0: <laughs> not this character as presented in the film. No. We don't see that at all. No. We see no, someone not who is all. broken, you know, who who doesn't seem to understand. I mean, there's there's a bit of self reflection in the jail cell where he's asking himself, What did I do? Yeah. You know, what have I done? What do I do, you know. There's there's that. Yeah. But I don't see that as being like a watershed moment for him.
1: No, it doesn't seem to change him.
0: He's humbled but he still seems like he has that kind of no one can tell me what to do, I, you know, I'm gonna be on top no matter what. Exactly. Fuck you, I know I've hit rock bottom, but you know, fuck you. <laughs> kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, wait a minute, is the movie over?
1: The end? Yeah, the, there's the uh, the, uh, the the really weird closing credits
0: the... where we can hear music and someone breathing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Why are we hearing like, someone
0: breathing in that?
1: I, don't, I, I think maybe Scorsese just wants to get you the hell out of the theater.
0: Why is there a scary monster noise at the very end of the film? It's
1: the it's the the roar of the raging bull.
0: Is that what it is? He's a minotaur now?
1: <laughs> yes, he's I got a new job. It's in a labyrinth. <laughs>
0: okay it's a good gig the end we did the end right the end the, the end okay Steve what is your opinion of this classic film Raging Bull
1: well I'm not going to uh, contradict popular opinion I mean I, I think it's a, a brilliant movie I think it's a great movie Um, it's and it's it's one of those movies that it's actually in terms of like sort of mainstream Hollywood big time movies that everybody's seen it's it's relatively rare in that it's I think it's a legitimate tragedy mm-hmm. like it's not it's in the classical sense. Uh, that's part of
0: Scorsese's oeuvre, though.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and it's not because. And, and nowadays we we sort of we we've adapted the term tragedy to refer to any kind of story that's really sad. Yeah. Um, but there's a more formal. This is more of sense. the
0: modern uh, uh, modern tra- type of tra- translation of tragedy when it comes to like stage. Where it's, yeah, it's a series of unfortunate events. I don't mean that book series, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and in this film, what we what we have is in in the character of Lamada is a really truly tragic character, and that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to feel bad for him, right? Because I think it's completely possible, and I think I even feel this way to a, to a large extent to watch this movie and to not really feel that bad for him, no, because he brings on his troubles himself. Mm-hmm and but the tragedy is that he never has that moment of clarity he never has that moment of change where he realizes the horrible things that he has done to himself to the people around him Mm -hmm. and 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 has that realization and takes responsibility that never happens there there are moments where he comes close Mm -hmm. there are moments where he feels sorry for himself Mm -hmm. there are moments where he's like where, where he in that in that jail scene we mentioned where you know in in addition to punching the wall and saying you know why why, why why he also repeatedly says i'm not that guy i'm not that guy mm-hmm. but he is that guy he is that guy and he doesn't ever seem to come through to that he never yeah. he never has that breakthrough where he's like oh my god i am that guy he just goes right back and, you know, and that that scene at the very end where he's quoting that on the waterfront scene is so perfect because he that's that's scorsese sort of telling you he he doesn't get it no he never got it because he's quoting this scene where the in the original film uh the the Brando character is blaming his brother for his troubles mm-hmm. and here's Jake LaMotta quoting this scene blaming his brother for his troubles and it wasn't his brother who if ruined anything his, life. his
0: brother successfully saved him on several occasions
1: yeah yeah it was it was him and and there's a very classically tragic aspect of that Mm -hmm. and you know I mean and there are yeah you mentioned De Niro or not I mean De Niro does this too as an actor but but Scorsese as a filmmaker likes to do that likes to play with sort of classical structures and make these films that have contemporary settings but they feel like operatic almost Mm -hmm. they feel like Greek tragedy because without going
0: overboard like uh, Coppola does on occasion
1: yeah exactly exactly he does it he does it more in in the the scope of or the structure of his story not so much in beating you over the head with it right um and there there is there are other aspects to the lamada character that again are very sort of classical that you find in classical drama like the the contradiction of him where mm-hmm. he as a boxer his his whole strength as a boxer is that he is able to absorb so much punishment he can just stand there and get punched for 10 rounds yeah. and and then come back and win the fight whereas in his personal life he's exactly the opposite he is so fragile mm-hmm. and so insecure he can't take anything he's suspicious of everybody he's insecure about all of his relationships yeah especially with women and he just you know he's like this fragile little egg but yet put him in the boxing ring and you can hit him all day and it it won't hurt him right Um, so there's all kinds of really interesting cool things going on in the movie and I mean the performances are spectacular De Niro is incredible Mm -hmm. Uh, he actually gives a good performance it's not just that he gained all that weight and lost all that weight it's really a a great really great performance Um, Kathy Moriarty is great in what is what could have been a completely thankless role I mean I, I I think it's great it's essential that they give her that moment of agency at the end where Mm -hmm. she does finally say I'm out of here yeah you know she doesn't just absorb his punishment for the whole movie she finally gets fed up and goes uh, Joe Pesci as, as Joey is terrific um, just a really well acted well made there's not beautiful a, there's movie there's not
0: a bad performance in this film
1: no everybody's yeah everybody's good everybody's good and um, yeah it's just it's just a, it's just a great movie I mean it's it's there's a lot to pick apart there's a lot to talk about there's a lot of, of, of depth there, uh, you mentioned the editing. The editing is fantastic. This mm-hmm. very stark editing, where they, he they cut from one incredible shot to another. There's and like some this of really it is, startling. It's
0: like reminiscent of as I mentioned before, nineteen fifties documentary style. Oh where yeah. They'll cut to they'll, they'll cut to a shot of tenements with with uh, with a title on it that says the Bronx and and gives the date. And then there's like a mid cut in there. Yeah. There's a mid cut in there as if there was a problem with the film and they just spliced it together to keep it to keep it up there. There's a little trick that gives it. A, a, a little air of, of you know you know what he's he's going for i'm sorry you're still in the middle of your no. stuff because keep going well
1: yeah well but and well you just brought up another a good point is that it, uh, speaking of like the contradiction in in the movie like there is that there in terms of scorsese's directorial style that he employs here there's there's that very sort of naturalistic almost documentary style in some scenes mm-hmm. and then other scenes are completely like almost abstract you know like those, oh yeah. like that like that boxing scene you talked about the, the fighting the final, scenes especially the fighting scenes are, I mean, it's because it, it's like it's it's movie boxing where nobody blocks anything and nobody dodges anything. It's just they take turns punching each other in the head like in a Rocky movie, but yeah. it's it's photographed in this very artful way where there's a lot of fluid camera movements, there's a lot of handheld camera. And I have some like, I
0: have some things about that as well in regards to yeah. why why it's like that.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it, you so you have those contradictions as well of like there are those scenes on the street where it's cut and shot very matter of factly and very documented Mm-hmm. and then there are these incredibly just artful, poetic shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- so, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I'll 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 shut up and let you <laughs> take over because I mean, it is it's a great movie. There's if you're a film student, it's a great movie. If you and if you want to see a great example of how you can make a brilliant film about a completely unlikable, irredeemable character, mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the best examples you'll ever find.
0: Well, that's that's kind of like that's that's Martin Scorsese. I'll, I'll go ahead and start mine. Yeah, yeah go for uh, it. Guess what, guys? This is a classic film. Nothing's going to touch. It. This movie is going to live on forever. People are going to learn from this film for the next hundred years, maybe even more. And uh, there's a number of reasons as to why. But um, what I was going to bring up originally, what I was going to say to you, is the way this film came together is also indicative of how a movie can come together and how certain things can influence a film and turn it into turn it into a work of art. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said before, Scorsese dove into this film because he was overdosing on he was overdosing on cocaine. He nearly died from doing cocaine. And De Niro was like, "Stop doing cocaine and do this movie here." Like, Here's the script. Script script gets cobbled together. And um, the reason why this film is in black and white is because at some point one of the consultants said, well, you know, they'd be sparring, but their, their gloves would be a different color. And he said, fuck it. I'm going to put it in black and white so that way I don't have to deal with any of that bullshit. Because Scorsese didn't like boxing and didn't know anything about it. He, those are the two things. Those are the two things that when he went into the film, didn't like boxing, still doesn't like boxing to this day. He recognized it as a metaphor. He recognized it as a metaphor. He said, every film you make is like, is, is like you can use it as a metaphor. Every movie you make is like is like fighting in a, in a boxing ring. He understood that. He yeah. under he picked up the aesthetics of stuff. He he re- did his research uh, the research about boxing. But one of the reasons why the boxing sequences are so much different than the rest of the movie is because he was playing in ground that he was unfamiliar with. So why not take the boxing sequences and make them a little bit more esoteric? Why not make them a little bit more artistic? Why not make them seem much different than the almost you know uh, uh, what's the French term for uh, uh, shoot
1: cinema verite yeah,
0: cinema almost cinema verite scenes in the rest of the film, yeah. right? And because they're in black and white, they ha- they they ha- you know, they remind you of going almost all the way back to the French New Wave in oh. certain sequences. Um like when the uh, when they see Vicky and she's sunning herself in front of the pool and you have that great shot in which she's just kind of arching her face up and there's the the water that's right there kind of reflecting back and you can hear the other, you know, you can hear other people t- you know, you can hear them talking in the background. Um and then you contrast that with the fighting sequences, which was something that he didn't really know a whole lot about and didn't necessarily really like and he turned those into pieces he turned them into little pieces of artwork little tiny you know that's where he sank himself in and said okay um, I'm going to put train noises in here and I'm going to put monster noises in here and I'm going to make thuds and this is going to be a real challenge for me because I really don't know how to cut a fight like this you know I really don't know how to shoot, shoot boxing and he w- and what happens is is he turns in he locked apparently he locked himself in for this editing seat. he was like I'm going to edit the shit out of this movie <laughs> and so he went in there with the editor and they, they, edited, they edited like gangbusters and what they came up with was an incredible piece of art that was made up of, of disparate parts. You know? It wasn't like he sat down and he said, I'm going to make a classic film that is going to live for the ages. <laughs> A lot of things were established here with uh, Scorsese. They were kind of established like that before with Mean Streets and with Taxi Driver. And what he really excels at is he, he excels at taking a character that would normally be a side character villain in other movies and making them the central character of the film. Um, and nine times out of ten, they live to the very end and nothing ever happens to them. And they do awful things. Um, in this movie in particular, Jake LaMotta is not a nice person. He's not a, a smart person. He doesn't listen to people. He he, he likes to hit. He's very he's extraordinarily vain in some areas and extraordinarily insecure in others. But what you come across with is that this is a believable person. He's not a cartoon character. No one in the movie is a cartoon character. Believe me, this movie is easy to satirize and make fun of. We just did it a couple of times while while doing this review. <laughs> but at no point do you ever feel like these aren't like normal people. And the, the insidious thing about Scorsese is that he takes awful people, makes them the central character in the film, and there is a part of you at some points that can sympathize with them. Or at the very mm-hmm. least, Understand where the character is emotionally it, uh, when when he has his fall when he's in prison like that you know, yeah. like you're, there's a part of you that's like oh you stupid son of a bitch you did this to yourself you don't feel smug when he's down yeah you don't you don't take you don't necessarily take joy when Sugar Ray unleashes seven hells onto his body <laughs> in that fight you're like oh shit Jake you should have shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the thing about it. Scorsese does that again in Goodfellas. He does it again in in Casino. He does it again in Wolf of Wall Street. Where and some people say, well, he's glorifying these people. And I'm like, no, he's not. Well, all he's doing is treating them like people, not villains. Right. That's all he's doing is he's treating them like actual people, like characters. And you don't like the fact that you can identify with their motivations. That's why you are uncomfortable. Is because you see, oh, I can understand that. Oh, I have sympathy for. It. Oh, wait, they're human beings. They're not cartoon villains. Because if you took any of these characters, if you took let's say you wanted to make remake Raging Bull except Jake Lamont is now the side character and the central character focus is now Joey who isn't that much better. Let's face yeah. facts Joey's got anger issues of his own He doesn't treat women terribly well either
1: no, not at all
0: But it could easily Be the story Of this poor guy And his violent Crazy brother Who eventually Storms into his house While he's eating dinner And beats the shit Out of him whilst, <laughs> uh, While demanding that while, while accusing him Of sleeping with With his wife At that point Jake LaMotta Becomes this villain that This uncontrollable Monster villain Yeah But instead We're focused on We're focused on, on On Jake LaMotta So character aside The fact that it was Shot in black and white Was simply because He didn't want to have to deal You know He didn't want to have to deal with it. He just didn't want And also it allowed him To experiment in other areas it allowed him to emulate a lot of the a lot of the directors that he's loved throughout his entire life. And in some points it feels very much like a documentary. In some points it doesn't. It feels very much like a French film. It's all of those film styles and stuff that he absorbed and he wanted hasn't hadn't really gotten a chance to express himself with in Mean Streets or in Taxi Driver or in New York, New York or Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. It was really a chance for him to 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 say here, look, I get to use all the influences from the people that I learned about when I was when I was you know going to film school. And guess what? He made a fucking masterpiece. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We need to de... We kind of need to uh, de-mythologize film to a certain extent. Where, you know, we say the artist was this inspired... It was an inspired vision from a visionary director. When in fact it was a a director who thought he was never going to make a film again. And these are the decisions that led to this film. And oh, by the way, this film is... fucking fantastic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it, an artist who who was able to make choices and make the choices he made work, mm-hmm. you know. And I thankfully mean,
0: think... restored his faith in himself as a, as a filmmaker. Because if this had been his last movie, he could easily walk away and his career is, he's set, he's solid. Raging Bull, that's it. Martin Scorsese made Raging Bull and he never made another film again. He made documentaries and shit after that. But instead, he went on to do even better films! Because while a lot <laughs> of people say Raging Bull is his magnum opus, it's his greatest film I don't know if I agree with that
1: yeah I, mean, they're I still don't know
0: because there's still good fellas yeah which to me is nearly a perfect movie
1: and is such a different movie. Yeah, like that's that's the that's the remarkable thing about. It was Scarsese almost as because-
0: you said. You thought Jake Lamotta was bad. Guess what I got coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, just you wait. <laughs> you thought you were uncomfortable those moments. You you sympathized with Lamotta.
0: You thought black and white blood <laughs> spurting from a from a boxer's face was bad.
1: <laughs> you thought Joe Pesci was explosive before.
0: Wait until you meet Billy Bats. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's a, guys it's a classic and if you haven't seen it and you love film what are you doing <laughs> it's only a little over two hours long it yeah. flies by yeah. at a clip it is so well done and so artistically. I mean, it's just you could turn the the dialogue off and just watch it for, mm. for for shot composition and just for the overall style of the film and still enjoy it. Right, Steve?
1: Oh my God, yes. No, no, no matter what uh, aspect of the cinematic art you happen to be interested in, there's something in this movie that you can study and learn something from. Whether you're interested in uh, directing, mm-hmm. cinematography, editing, how to acting, turn it, how to make.
0: make. Make a script sound like spoken dialogue.
1: Yeah. Oh, I I mean, how to write a script. Even though the writing of this movie was a very complicated process, what's on the screen Mm -hmm. is an excellent script. Yeah. And yeah, and how to use music. I mean, there's all kinds of of you know every every aspect of filmmaking. What whatever you might feel compelled to study, there's something in here for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, go and see it. Right, Steve.
1: Absolutely. It it's it's a must see. Yeah. Classic
0: confirmed.
1: Classic, very much confirmed.
0: And now's the time. Now, will we recommend another movie Steve do you have a movie you'd like to recommend
1: I do yay I do um I'm going to recommend another boxing movie I uh and I'm going to recommend another good boxing movie I, I I toyed with the idea of making another ironic recommendation but uh, <laughs> but everybody I mean if you don't know that I like Rocky Four by now oh um, my gosh no. <laughs> no I'm recommending there there have been I, I I think Raging Bull is probably the best or at least my favorite boxing movie um but there have been a couple of other really great ones as well and the one I'm recommending is a boxing movie uh, from 1962 starring Anthony Quinn and Jackie Gleason and Mickey Rooney and from a script by the redoubtable Mr. Rod Serling Rod
0: Serling Serling, I knew you were going to
1: say it and it is the film version of Requiem for a Heavyweight which is the story Ah. of a a boxer sort of in his declining years uh, having to figure out what he's going to do after he's done being a boxer and I say the film version because, of course, as a lot of people know, this was originally produced for live television on uh, Playhouse 90, I believe.
0: The Playhouse 90 um, version is my, actually my favorite version of this. Oh, me I, too. Don't the get Playhouse me wrong; I love the I love the film, but Jack Palance and the play, man alive, he is really just on his game in that fucking in that live television adaptation of this.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. If you can if you can find the 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 Playhouse 90 version, mm-hmm. uh, the Playhouse 90 version is is amazing. And and uh, actually, and a lot of people who know Rod Serling primarily for The Twilight Zone. Rod, some of Rod Serling's best writing was when he was writing for 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 live television in the fifties. He wrote some beautiful episodes of Playhouse Ninety, some great episodes of uh, Studio One. Uh, he was just a fantastic writer, even long yeah, before guys, the Twilight. If Zone. you
0: ever ask yourselves, hey, how did Rod Serling ever get a TV show where he got to write it all and host it? It was because Rod Serling developed a reputation for someone that television didn't deserve. It was like oh, yeah. TV was like, where did this guy? I come from and holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) he says Absolutely. he wants to make an anthology sci-fi fantasy series let him do it just give it to him just let him do it every once
1: um yeah and I mean you know one of my one of my favorite things ever is 1950s live television mm-hmm. uh i think some of those those anthology shows like studio one and playhouse 90 are just uh fantastic and they were uh sort of you know proving grounds for people who went on to become just yeah. legendary you'll writers. be watching
0: it and you'll be like is that a 90- year old Richard Dreyfuss? <laughs>
1: oh, my God, yeah. Uh, James Dean. Um, uh, I mean, uh, uh, so Duval, many. Bro- Robert Duvall. Du- Posse, Robert Duvall, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you look at, like, the, just the behind-the-scenes people. Like, John Frankenheimer got his start mm-hmm. directing TV. Uh, Sidney Lumet got his start directing TV. And, of course, there's Serling as a writer. Patty Chayefsky, Reginald Rose. I mean, it just it goes on mm-hmm. and on and on forever, all these brilliant writers. Not but to yeah, mention, so, if
0: you ever watch your show of shows, that's all of comedy for the last 50 years on one fucking show.
1: Oh, my God. God, yes. I mean, yeah. Fuck this...
0: Saturday Night Live. Uh, we <laughs> owe com- comedy from the, your show of shows was what Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, Sid Caesar, yeah, uh, Carl Reiner, yeah. fucking just all of those guys went off and created comedy that would influence comedy for the next fifty.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a I I have a huge soft spot and just a, a wonderful appreciation and fascination with nineteen fifties television because it's just some of the, it's some of the best writing you will ever see, mm-hmm. and uh, and it, it was the, the launching pad for so many incredible talents behind the camera and in front of the camera. So the, yeah, if you can catch the original uh, Requiem for a Heavyweight, I, I have it on DVD. I know it's available uh, in like box sets of yeah. Playhouse 90 episodes that survive. But uh, the the film version with Anthony Quinn and Gleason and Mickey Rooney uh, is just excellent. And it's a wonderful story, whether you're watching the TV version or the, uh, the, the, the cinematic version, the film version. Um, and that, I would say, other than Raging Bull, it's maybe my favorite Boxing movie, mm-hmm. um, so I would recommend it very highly. If you mm-hmm. want to see another boxing movie after watching Raging Bull, check out Requiem for a Heavyweight.
0: Okay, thanks. Well, um, as you guys know, I like to recommend a movie from the same year as the movie we just reviewed, so that year would be 1980. Now, I consider Raging Bull to be the last legitimate 1970s movie. The last like 19 where the 1970 was like, yeah, make a movie about anything you want, do it. But it, the 1980 was literally all of the films that got greenlit in the 1970s that eventually made to the screen in the 80s. So there are a ton there. <laughs> There's a shit ton of good movies in 1980, guys. Mm -hmm. If you look up a list of movies that came out in 1980, aside from Heaven's Gate... I mean, Empire Strikes Back came out this, you guys. Yeah. The Blues Brothers. (laughs) fuck, I mean, there are some... Airplane! The first airplane came out in 1980! Yep. There's an embarrassment of films, but for me, for me, I'm gonna go with a sentimental favorite. It's a movie that came out in 1980. Um, it's a movie that uh, I think was the very first time that I watched a film and appreciated it at, on an artistic level. I was 11 years old. So it explains a lot about who I am as a person and as, as someone who appreciates film because this was the first film that made me look at it as a film. It made me think about it. The film I'm going to recommend is The Gong Show Movie. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. The gong show movie did come out, but I'm not recommending that. (laughs) The film that actually, that I'm actually talking about, a film that I probably should not have watched when I was 11, the film that I was rooting for because I had not seen Raging Bull during the Academy Awards that year, is a little movie called The Elephant Man. Oh, yeah. Directed by David Lynch, with a screenplay by Christopher DeVore, Eric Berggren, and uh, David Lynch. Um, This was a Brooks film. In other words, Mel Brooks, who a lot of people just think is a jokey joke guy, but he's also very well read. He loves films film. He saw a racer head. Yeah, put that in your head, guys. Mel Brooks sitting in in a theater with his wife and Bancroft Watching a racer head, and Brooks going, "This guy is a genius. This guy's this guy is is phenomenal." Brooks wanted wanted David Lynch for the Elephant Man. That's right. Mel Brooks was developing the Elephant Man for a movie and found David Lynch. Hey, I'm going to blow your minds again. You know the remake of The Fly? David Cronenberg, the master of body horror. They were going to remake The Fly. You know who was remaking The Fly? Mel Brooks. Do you know who recommended David Lynch for it? Mel Brooks. <laughs> Anyone who's ever met Mel Brooks will say this Mel Brooks is extraordinarily well read He is not the character that you're used to seeing him play In movies and, and everything else And I've always maintained this The more knowledgeable a comedian is yeah, about general stuff, the funnier he is as a comedian. I'm just getting oh, that yeah. out of the way right now. Well,
1: and if you've ever seen Mel Brooks be himself, like, give, especially, like, give relatively lengthy, like, in-depth interviews. Mm-hmm. He's just an incredibly articulate, oh, yeah. you know, well-read guy. He's, uh-huh. He really is a
0: genius. Um, but anyway, back to my recommendation. <laughs> the Elephant Man is about John Merrick. The Elephant Man. And uh, there was fucking nothing like that movie when it came out. Nothing. Yeah. David Lynch was a unique talent, and he had he had only made that one film, and then The Elephant Man was his big splash. And it wasn't made for a whole lot of money. I think it was something like $5 million. Um, but if you watch this movie, John Hurt turns in a fantastic performance underneath all of that fucking makeup. He, you, won't rec- you won't recognize him. You don't see John Hurt in all of that makeup at all. But man, he's acting. He is just acting his fucking heart out for that movie. Anthony Hopkins, who did this movie and then kind of disappeared for a long time yeah. <laughs> after making it. He does, he turns in a great job, and Bancroft is in it. Gee, I wonder why. And of course, Sir John Gielgud, who's good in everything. I don't care what he's in, he was even good in Prospero's books. And, I, and the only reason I watched that fucking movie was because John Gielgud was in it. And I don't even know if John Gielgud knew he was even in a movie. <laughs> But if you want to watch a movie that has weird, uh, esoteric, the, the bizarre dream sequences, they let David Lynch do stuff. He was making, for the most part, I think this is his second most accessible film after uh, Straight Story. Yeah. Right? Um, but still, they let him go off on his little weird tangents with elephants and ladies screaming and the, oh, the way he uses sound and everything else. And, oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's gritty. And again, it's an, and the reason why I settled on this one, rather than saying like the Blues Brothers are another one of my favorites from Nigeria, is because it's also a film that was made in black and white when color film was prevalent. Yep. Fuck you, Ted Turner. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> youngsters. If you white, don't know Elfman. what I, if you don't know what I'm upset about, somewhere around the late '80s, Ted Turner said, "I'm going to take all these classic films and destroy them <laughs> by turning the black and white films into color.
1: I'm going to vandalize my own culture.
0: Uh-huh. I'm going to turn this beautiful work of art into ugliness that you can't barely watch. <laughs>
1: Why can't we colorize?" the first half of that Wizard of Oz <laughs> I mean what's the point
0: and the whole point is is that people make black and white movies because it's a form of artistic expression. <laughs> and a lot of the black and white films that came out came out at a time when there was Technicolor. If they really wanted to make a film in, in color they could have done it. Yeah. There's no re- There was no reason to colorize And then in yeah. one year two movies two movies that got nominated for a shit ton of Academy Awards. Both of them did. Were both in black and white. Why? Because they wanted to work in black and white. That's all. And they made beautiful they they're both beautiful films. Yeah. And I think that I think choosing The Elephant Man as the debut for uh, the mainstream most people didn't you know even know who David Lynch was before, because not a, not everyone saw a Racerhead. Cinephiles knew what a Racerhead was, um, but not very many people did. And then they walked into the Elephant Man and they watched something new and different and unique and emo and you were emotionally invested. And there were good performances, and it was just a fucking awesome movie. And I'm gonna go watch it again right now as soon as this podcast is over. <laughs> Go so we'll see it, The Yellow Man, right?
1: Yeah, yeah great movie. Absolutely. Watch Requiem and...
0: for a Heavyweight and The Yellow Man, a nice uplifting date. <laughs> yeah, really. Watching.
1: Don't, don't, uh, Hope hopefully, you're not starting out <laughs> sad because it won't help. <laughs> No, but The, the Elephant uh, Man is actually... A, it's a it's a great uh, compliment to Raging Bull because, yeah, I mean, they, they came out the same year. They're both black and white. They're both made by directors who had a chance to sort of show off a little bit and prove they're themselves. They're both made by and, auteurs at this point. Both yeah. Young.
0: So, yeah, okay, yeah. that's it. Do you guys agree with this? Do you guys like Raging Bull? Or do you think Raging Bull is a boring piece of shit and it should have made a <laughs> color? Because you want to see all the blood and real blood is red. That's how you make movies. It's color, right?
1: Yeah. Sure. If I don't see real red blood, I'm <laughs> pissed off. That's why I that's hate funny. that damn... That, that damn follow that bird Sesame Street movie. Where's <laughs> the blood?
0: To, go to SoundCloud and leave a comment and let us know how you, how you feel if you love it or you don't love it or you think it's just okay. That's fine. You don't have to agree with us that it's a classic. Um, but please let us know. Or go to the Let Me Listen podcast website, go to the contact page and leave a message for us there. We'd love to get them. Also, if there are genres or films that you would like us to review, leave us leave us that stuff there as well. I, I read them. Steve doesn't care. Steve I don't, does not care. care. He tells me to destroy them. He says, <laughs> Why are you doing that?
1: <laughs> when, when James Jason sends me comments, I just I delete them unread.
0: And I tell him, It's my show. Do you want the shock baton again? And he's like, No. <laughs>
1: okay, fine, I'll read the comments. <laughs>
0: Hey Steve!
1: Yeah, man.
0: You know I'm feeling real good. We watched a really good movie this time.
1: We did, we did. One of our uh, favorites, an all-time classic.
0: Yeah, kind of washed that taste of Birth of a Nation right out of our mouths.
1: Yeah, it's a good feeling.
0: Restored our faith in the film again. It did. Ah, you know, coming up in two weeks, we're gonna have, we're gonna do a, we, we should do a Star Wars film because there's a new Star Wars movie coming out.
1: Yeah, Rogue One, a yeah, Star Rogue Wars story.
0: Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which is kind of like a prequel, even though they're uh, never going to call it that.
1: Yeah, I guess you know technically. It, It is, I suppose, yeah. You know
0: why they're not going to call it prequel, Steve?
1: Because of the movie we're going to review next.
0: (laughs) That's fucking right. Because of the movie we're going to review next. (laughs) Hey, guys, guess what? (sighs) Happy feelings gone!
1: (laughs) For those of you who enjoy the show, when you get to laugh at our pain... (laughs)
0: We figure, since Rogue One is pretty much a prequel, we're going to do a Star Wars prequel ourselves. And there's only one Star Wars prequel, the one that pretty much told us what to expect over the next six, seven, I don't know how long it took them to get the other three out.
1: Yeah, too long.
0: But hey, we're gonna watch this kind of Star Wars movie, right?
1: Yeah, technically it is a Star Wars movie. You say the title. We're the going whole to title watch. too we're going to be reviewing Star Wars Episode 1 <laughs> The Phantom Menace that is the title that is the official title
0: <laughs> pray for us <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, hey guys, I can't believe I'm telling you to do this, but if you want to get all the jokes...
1: <laughs> <laughs> or you want to relive the disappointment of almost 20 years ago now.
0: If you want to spend a bleak afternoon remembering how awful something is, then please watch Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yep. It'll really help you appreciate our podcast more. <laughs> See if you
1: can spot the moment when Ewan McGregor realizes what he has done. <laughs> and that he has to do two more of these.
0: Everyone in the movie has that moment. Even the fucking CGI characters.
1: They're like, oh god, this isn't going well at all.
0: <laughs> I say this in the script.
1: He's definitely doing two more of these after this? Real- oh
0: <laughs> That's right. So, uh, hey guys, thanks for spending some time with us as we, as we praise the movie and get ready to endure another one? Yep. Until next time, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week.
1: And this has been Steve Shives, and remember, if you win, you win. If you lose, you still win.
0: It's no, Steve. See, um, well, if you lose, you lose. No, just, but you but, can't win by losing.
1: But nobody else will be available, so you'll still win because you'll be the I only don't one.
0: Fucking get what you're saying. What are you saying? No, there's two. Th- there's win where you win, and there's lose where you lose. No, That's no. It.
1: Look, but look, listen. There's nobody else. They got no. They got nobody. No, they You win, you win. Guys. You
0: lose, you still win because you're still no, gonna get the shot. No, it's. See, I, but he, here's the thing. You said I'm going to lose, so I'm going to lose. That's okay, how but, that's how losing works. Okay, okay,
1: but I'm talking about like in a large, in a like a broader context.
0: Are you saying I'm abroad? I think... I'm do not I saying you're like fucking wrong. Do these do I have tits? I don't have tits. Hey Joey, let me ask you a question. What? You fuck my wife? <sighs> I'm not I'm not even going to answer that. Come on, you fuck my no, wife? I'm not No, you're 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 crazy. Fuck you. You're out you're out of your fucking head. How can I be out of my own head? If I was you know, out of my did, head, then my head how would my body work? You're not Okay, there's this there's a form of speech called
1: hyperbole. okay? I was no. using it to make how dare a point. You? I was I've I was, never was,
0: been with a man. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Do you think they know we wave when we say that every time? I think they do. Late Seating is a Lemmy Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Music by Kevin McLeod. Produced by Jason Harding. You can find more Lemmy Listen podcasts at our website at www.lemmylistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes under Lemmy Listen. Please like and leave a review. And thanks for listening. This show is a listener supported podcast. If you would like to contribute as little as $1 a month to help fund this podcast, please visit our website at www.LemmyListenPodcast.com and click on the Patreon logo. If you can't or just don't want to, no biggie.